Hello, this is uh, Harry Hawk, Talking About Everything podcast, and we're talking with Dan Zayantz from Seneca College. He is just about, by the time you hear this, releasing a brand new book that talks about social media and college presidents and how they in particular use social media. It's called hashtag follow the leader. Dan is on the faculty at Seneca College, but he also works in government and media relations. And we share one thing in common, which we have both taught event marketing. Anyway, Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Harry. I'm excited to be here. I want to understand you, from what I've read, you use Twitter and you just went out and contacted a bunch of college presidents. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, um, it, it's not uh, something I necessarily do in my spare time, but um, I was uh, in the process of wrapping up my thesis at, uh, at McMaster in Syracuse. They have a, a Master's of Communication Management program there, um, and, uh, and that program wraps up with, with a thesis like many master's programs do. You know, through just a sort of a confluence, uh, a series of different events. I uh, decided to pursue the, this subject area of uh, how higher ed leaders are using social media uh, as my thesis topic and decided that it would really be very appropriate, you know, if, if I were going to be researching how, how leaders are using social media to use social media myself as one of my research methods, my research tools. Um, and so I really tried to integrate that into, into my research process and to, uh, into the thesis itself. And, and put myself out there on Twitter, started reaching out to a variety of different, probably, you know, 100 to 150 different higher ed presidents, whoever, you know, would, would sort of respond, but also looking at, at those in particular that were very active on social media that I thought were doing very interesting things on social media. Out of that came uh, 22, 22 really insightful conversations with uh, university and college presidents from Canada and the United States. And again, uh, uh, you know, a really interesting sort of element to reaching out to people on Twitter is is that it, it really allows you to sort of get past some of the, the traditional gatekeepers you might experience if you're, if you're sending out email invites, uh, if you're reaching out to people over the phone, uh, you know, chances are they might not get back to you. But but on Twitter, uh, there, maybe it's the, the sort of the sense of community, that sort of the, the nature of, of two-way engagement in, in terms of uh, communicating on, on Twitter. Um, and and I, I was really able to sort of uh, get a hold of people that uh, I often say I had no business speaking to uh, because I reached out to them through through that social network. I think that is obviously the actual power of Twitter. I'm certainly guilty of using that myself and certainly guilty of reaching out to you. And I obviously want to let anyone who's listening right now know that I am going to be doing a longer form interview with Dan uh, when the book comes out, when I can get a review copy. But I, I want to talk a little bit more about the methodology so you contacted people through Twitter and then it ended up in a, a phone conversation or an in-person interview or did you interview them over Twitter? In some cases, there were there were definitely conversations uh, exchanged uh, through through Twitter for the sake of uh, sort of a, a scholarly piece of writing like uh, a thesis. 
Uh, unfortunately, the limitations of you know 140 characters uh, don't don't necessarily lead to you know the the, the kind of uh, depth and breadth that you're looking for in in terms of responses from people. So what we what we often do uh, or what we often did was you know make arrangements to to have a, a follow up Skype chat after an initial uh, after initial conversation uh, on Twitter. After the conversations, what I'd often do is also share sort of the insights from those conversations immediately. Uh, you know, after the conversation took place on Twitter. So I really tried to integrate, I really tried to integrate uh, the, the sort of um, social media into, into all the, the, the ways that, um, I, you know, I was trying to tell this story of how higher ed leaders, uh, you know, themselves engage on social media. It's actually appropriate that um, our sort of in initial tweets led to either face-to-face -face meetings or Skype conversations or telephone conversations between myself and those those presidents, uh, because often when they are engaging on social media, um, you know, whether it's with government stakeholders or with alumni, that's how those those relationships also get enhanced. Uh, you know, they'll start having conversations with those stakeholders on social media. Um, you know, they'll tweet uh, an alumni who's doing particularly well after having left their institution, or, or they'll tweet, you know, a governor or, uh, you know, in Canada, a minister of education, someone responsible, you know, for the post-secondary, the, the higher education portfolio. And and those initial tweets will, will in some cases, lead to face-to-face -face meetings and, and help that president or that higher ed leader strengthen the position of their institution, advance their institution institutional interests. So uh, sort of parallels, my, you know, my approach kind of parallels what, what a lot of presidents are, are using social media for these days. I think that's really clever, the way that conversations jump in and out of different media in, you know, in academic circles, we might call that transmedia storytelling a little bit of being able to jump uh, from one medium to another. Do you see that, do you, I guess, Here's a question, Dan, for you. When you're looking at the tweets coming in from the college president and you're having several exchanges and exchanges with, I believe you said oh, you initially started with almost 200, maybe 150 or so. Do you have any sense of that they're all tweeting themselves or are you able to kind of get a sense, kind of a radar almost of when maybe somebody isn't, you know, it's an assistant or somebody who might be tweeting? Yeah, you know, um, of the 22 presidents who, who I interviewed, all of them, all of them, you know, uh, shared with me that they were the ones in control of their accounts. And and I think uh, I think presidents have have learned at this point, you know, that you know there are different ways you can present your own social media account to sort of your your college or university community. It can be sort of an office of the president account, um, where you know someone who who decides to follow that account probably knows that it's not the president themselves uh, tweeting. You know, it's it's links to press releases for that institution, links to uh, information about particular events happening on campus. Um, so those office of the, of the president accounts tend to sort of reflect those presidents who want to have this sort of, you know, this connection to social media, but don't want to necessarily uh, delve, you know, full on into the social media space. And then you've got these other, you know, these other accounts where it, it very clearly is the president themselves tweeting. A great example of that, uh, an example we reference, uh, we profile in the book. Uh, one of the people who actually really inspired me to pursue this topic further is uh, is Dr. Santa Ono out of the University of Cincinnati, who has really become, 
for, for lack of a better way to put it, a social media, you know, star among higher ed uh, leaders, among higher ed presidents in particular, who's, who's really doing some dynamic stuff. He will share selfies, you know, tons of selfies of his sort of travels across campus and, and off campus at the different events he attends. Um, we'll share his favorite song lyrics. Um, we'll, uh, you know, uh, share links to, to interesting videos he finds. Uh, and then, you know, is constantly, you know, more than anything else, constantly sort of sharing success stories of his institution, uh, in engaging with prospective students. And it really, uh, very clearly is him because you can, can sort of tell that distinctive voice is there. I've actually talked to the the marketing folks at the University of Cincinnati who have sort of said, oh, yeah, he's he's sort of off doing his own thing. We we tried to, you know, kind of have conversations with him about about, you know, uh, you know, here's our recommendations. But he really was sort of set on doing his own thing. And I actually I, I think that's really neat, you know, um, and the, the, the University of Cincinnati community and the, the, the city of Cincinnati, I think, has really responded to how active uh, Dr. Ono, who's a transplanted Canadian, by the way, uh, uh, has uh, has really taken to, to social media. He's coined the hash for, the hashtag hottest college in America. And that's really taken off. People really associate that hashtag hottest college in America with um, with UC, with the University of Cincinnati. So, uh, you know, there really are these different sort of approaches that, that leaders have taken. And I, I, in my view, you know, I, I don't think there's a one size fits all. I don't think you can universally say that one is, is better than another. They're just different. But, um, but, but Dr. Dr. Ono, in, in his sort of uh, in his approaches, has really had uh, gained a lot of traction. Now, I, I know that a lot of particularly larger, you know, campus-based universities and colleges have Twitter accounts for you know every possible micro department, every dining room, every department, every athletic team. Is there something that you've seen the president's doing that maybe some of these other accounts should be doing? In other words, is there sort of a best practice, not for other social media folks, but just folks who are at the campus level? Well, I think we, we, we certainly cover a, a variety of different best practices that, that I observed um, and that these the presidents uh, themselves shared with me, uh, you know, in, in our conversations. But what I think, you know, sort of what what a, a, a president or a higher ed leader in particular can uniquely do that some of these individual accounts, as you're saying, for you know a particular department or service area for for a college or university, what they can't do is really set the tone for their institution. What what presidents like uh, Paul LeBlanc at Southern uh, New Hampshire University is doing uh, Arbo and Lofton, uh, who's the the chancellor at um, at University of Missouri. Um, what what they do uh, is really set the tone in terms of student engagement at their institutions. Students now understand that they can go to these senior leaders um, with issues that they're experiencing on campus. Uh, you know, an IT issue, uh, you know, a, a Wi-Fi blackout at the library or, um, you know, a noise issue at, at residence. And they can bring this to the president. And while not, neither of those presidents will directly, you know, go get hands on in terms of, you know, uh, marching over to residence or, or heading over to the library to fix, you know, the, the technical issues, they will often delegate. They will acknowledge the problem and they'll delegate uh, you know, that particular issue, hey, I can't help you with this Wi-Fi issue, but I can put you in contact with our director of IT, uh, or I can put you in contact with uh, the head of our residences to to help you 
to help you address that issue. And what they're often doing by by uh, by being so active in, in their responses to, to student uh, queries and questions and comments and feedback is really setting the tone for their institution. It, hey, if if our president is is as responsive as he is, or he or she is, uh, in terms of their engagement with students, they're getting back to students promptly. They're acknowledging the the concerns and feedback that students are raising. Then, what excuse do other areas across the college have for not being as responsive to students? And and that's I think what what uh, higher ed leaders can really uniquely do that maybe some of these other accounts well. They certainly can do it. I think it, 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 it's it's harder for you know one particular service area at an institution to really set the tone uh, in the same way that you know your most senior leader, your president or your CEO can do for your organization. But yeah, somehow, and, and, you, and, and uh, I mean, let's take it to another level. I mean, how many organizations, how many companies, CEOs or most senior executives make themselves available to address customer customer issues? And I think, uh, you know, what Paul LeBlanc actually has talked about is this unique uh, uh, capital, political capital you gain as a as a higher ed president who is. Uh, as responsive as LeBlanc is on social media, you gain a certain capital on campus where people know they can rely on you. People know that, uh, you know, wh- whether it's the student voice or, or faculty or staff, they know they that that their president is listening to their to the the issues that they're raising on social media and uh, good or bad and uh, and will sort of interject where appropriate uh, to try and find a, a, a mutually you know agreeable or mutually beneficial solution. That you know the president understands that it's in their best interest to have uh, their most important stakeholders you know be status satisfied and and feel as though they are being heard and, and actively listened to and uh, and I think a. Uh, 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 a number of, of higher ed leaders, uh, and I think an emerging group of higher ed leaders, are really starting to recognize that social media is a platform that will enable them to potentially, you know, capitalize on this this notion of of uh, this political capital that you can gain on campus. I love that idea, and I'm a huge fan of uh, Dr. LeBlanc for sure. I grew up on a college campus. My father was a college president, and I spent a lot of time as a family unit just being on campus and watching my father engage with students, and that really was a huge part of him going to events was not just to sit in some box somewhere, but to actually interact with the whole community. So and, the f- and, and Harry, it's really appropriate that you bring that up because, um, you know, some of the questions Questions that have been raised as I've presented this research at various conferences have been, you know, oh, you know, are you trying to make the argument that somehow social media replaces a president, you know, uh, appearing at, at different uh, college campus events? Uh, alumni events, uh, sporting events, what have you, you know, ha- having their face sort of on campus. Uh, and, and I really don't see social media as replacing that. I actually see it as, as complementing that. You know, you cannot, you know, take to Twitter, Facebook and Instagram a- as a higher ed leader and say, oh, that's it. That's all I need to do. You know, that's the, you know, that's <laughs> the extent of my engagement with the college community. Um, I really don't see it as replacing those things. I think it is just another piece in the same way, you know, 30 years ago or 20 years ago, what have you? We embraced uh, email fifty years ago, sixty years ago, and you know, embraced a, a, another you know communications platform. Um, this is yet you know yet another sort of platform through which uh, higher ed leaders can engage with their their key stakeholders. I mean, I consider the president's job at almost any particular college or university to be sort of the chief stakeholder engagement 
officer, right? I mean, they're setting certain tones. They're maybe fundraising. They may be working a lot with alumni or faculty members or taking part in, you know, colloquiums or something. But at the end of the day, their job is clearly to really take the pulse and and, and to cross fertilize across stakeholders. So it seems, you know, perfectly, perfectly suited for them to use social media. Is there, in, lo- in looking at all of that, I know your book gets into, as you mentioned, some best practices. Is there any other, like, particular highlights or were there particularly different ways that different professor, different presidents, rather, would use the tool? Yeah, you know, I, I think one of the, the, the sort of one of the best practices, one of the really big takeaways, what I observed, uh, you know, presidents like uh, like Dr. Ono and um, Beth Strobel at Webster University is another another president that we profile. Um, what I really uh, saw them do was look at social media, you know, as sort of this this platform available to them. But what they really, in particular, did was was looked at their sort of institutional goals and objectives. And really, sort of looked at the tools in front of them, all uh, the whole sort of gamut of, of communications tools in front of them. Uh, you know, the, the sort of more traditional tools, and now these emerging tools like social media. And really said, how can I use these tools to advance our institutional objectives? So, you know, there you can make the argument that, you know, some people sort of strive to, I'm just going to try and gain as many followers as I can, try, try and gain as many likes as I can for the content that I post. But what I think the, the really strategically minded higher ed leaders are doing is really looking at, well, hey, we have an institutional goal to uh, increase alumni engagement and to... To gain government support for a new uh, a new campus building, um, you know those are two huge priorities for us. As an example, how can we use social media, the social media tools uh, available to us, to advance those objectives? So they will set goals like I'm going to you know endeavor as a president to engage with uh, you know 30 alumni every month. Uh, you know, that could be through, you know, in, uh, starting, you know, uh, a series of different conversations with, with those alumni in terms of that, uh, that new campus building objective. I'm going to start, uh, you know, reaching out to, to government officials who I know are active on social media. And maybe, uh, that will lead to face to face meetings. Uh, and maybe those face to face meetings will lead to, uh, you know, in terms of financial support from, from local government, uh, for that new building. So, you know, obviously that's, you know, that's ideally how things play out. And, but the, and that's, there's no guarantee that, you know, taking to social media will lead to that new building or will lead to uh, increased alumni engagement. But they are these platforms that are available to, to these senior leaders where, uh, where there are very much examples of, of leaders who have had success on those fronts that one Canadian president who we profile in the book, you know, found uh, one of their ministers in particular, a minister of higher education in the province of Alberta, you know, started, found out that that, uh, that minister in particular was very active on social media, started tweeting at that, at that particular minister. They, you know, were making jokes, sending uh, tweets back and forth. And then the, those, those tweets eventually led to a face-to-face meeting. Uh, and that, that face-to-face meeting led to more face-to-face meetings. And eventually in, in the annual provincial budget, um, um, there was a, there was a larger commitment made to that particular institution financially, and and, uh, and the president that I spoke to really credited the engagement he had with that minister on social media as sort of laying the groundwork for for that uh, additional sort of uh, funding commitment they they were able to garner. Again, there there's no there's certainly no 
guarantee um, that, you know, engaging on social media is going to lead to, you know, millions of dollars, you know, you know, rolling in for your institution. But it is, again, yet another platform that the higher ed leaders can use to to engage with uh, some of their their valued stakeholders. Well, that's fantastic. I guess we have a new term, trans uh, media relationships. Uh, as Perhaps. we, are really, I wanted to, to switch it up because I, I know that you do get into the classroom. And as I noted, we've both taught uh, event marketing class. And I'm just curious, do you use Twitter or social media, you know, within your classroom or teach it or in some way reference it? Yeah, you know what? Uh, it's it's funny, actually, that you bring that up because, you know, one of the I teach a, a second semester uh, course, one of the last courses that my, my students uh, take at Seneca uh, before sort of moving into the event marketing sports and event marketing world. And oftentimes I'm trying to get them in the mindset of networking and, and uh, doing as much as you can to position yourself for success, you know, talking to as many people in that very, very competitive industry, which is an industry that uh, in another life I, I used to work in as well. Uh, you know, what I'm often talking to them about doing is is being a bit fearless, again, sort of uh, this relates to some of the work that I did in, in the book as well, being a bit fearless about who you reach out to uh, in that industry in terms of, you know, making contacts and then trying to make a name for yourself. And using social media, whether it's again, you know, Twitter or or Facebook or, or whatever you know platform is available to you, uh, LinkedIn, obviously another uh, tool out there um, to to reach out to the people, you know, the, the real power brokers in that industry, and sort of make a case for yourself, or you know, ask them out for a cup of coffee just to sort of introduce yourself. Because if you're not going to do it, you know, there are ninety other people who who will have the chutzpah, for lack of a better term, it's a technical term, uh, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, they, they'll have the, you know, the, the, the courage to, to reach out to those people. And so, you know, I sometimes am met with, uh, a bit of cynicism from my students, actually, when I talk about the, how surprised they'll be when they just actually, uh, you know, take a deep breath and reach out to some of the people they've only dreamed of talking to, and they'd be surprised that they'll actually get a response. Um, I, so I am sometimes met with with cynical uh, responses there, but but it it is something that I have you know brought up in the classroom. This you know use whatever tools are available to you, social media among them, to to reach out to uh, the the people who might be able to help you advance uh, in your career. And uh, again, in in the uh, in the event and sports marketing world, it's it's all about who you know, right? Indeed, I I find my students particularly resistant to that professional use of social media, especially Twitter. It's it's a big learning curve for them, and I've tried to kind of step them into it gently with little projects, do this, do that, kind of get them working together on topics and communicating with each other and trying to then loop in people within the industry. A lot of them see the value, but not necessarily for themselves, or they see it as something that they might do in a couple of years. And it's it's very frustrating, you know, that no, this is something you should be doing now, which, I mean, just to tie that back to the book, you know, I think that's also the same thing that a college president or anybody else needs to say to themselves, this is something I should be doing today. Yeah, and, and I, I, I think there, there is a parallel between, uh, you know, what the students are, are probably fearful of and what, are, what the 
higher ed leaders are fearful of as well. The uh, you know, and and it came up uh, repeatedly in the conversations I was having, and I was having conversations with people who were active on social media, and uh, the the recurring fear is this fear of a public misstep. What if you say the wrong thing? What if, um, you know, what if something that you say spins sort of wildly out of control is misinterpreted as, as things can be on social media? And, and that happens, you know, instantaneously and in a very public forum, uh, especially on, on a network like Twitter. Uh, but it can happen on any number of social networks. And I think the students and the presidents actually fear the same thing is I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to make a bad impression. Um, and, and so what you have is, you know, some some presidents who have just decided I'm going to stay away from social media completely because of that fear. I, I just, you know, uh, why one, I mean, uh, that's not the sole reason that, that uh, certain presidents are staying away from social media. Others have raised this concern about time management as well. How do I fit it into my, my very busy life as a president? But the, but the, the, the recurring concern that was raised was this notion of what if I say the wrong thing? What if I, what if I make a public misstep? And, you know, some of the, the presidents who are more Zen about that notion of a public misstep, uh, who are sort of more accepting of the fact that, yes, I, I very well could make a public misstep on social media. You know, they sort of raise this notion of every every day that you sort of get out of bed, um, mm-hmm. you know, there is a risk that you could make a mistake. There is a risk that you that something bad could happen. As a president, certainly every decision you make is fraught with risk as well. And so, you know, to avoid social media and the potential opportunities could be a bit short-sighted, you know, in, in that, you know, there, there really is risk in everything you do. This is just another space where, yes, that risk exists, but it can be mitigated if you operate sort of strategically and, you know, you, you apply, apply a, a certain level of logic and, and you know, uh, and sober thought to, to your decision-making in that space. So, uh, you know, at the same time, I, I also... Uh, I tried to be non-hyperbolic in my conversation uh, about uh, social media and higher ed leaders. I don't want to be the person to say every every president has to be in this space. Every student has to be in this space. I don't think that's the case. You know, I think it really is a matter of of of, uh, of personal preference, of of decision making. Uh, you know, of personal decision making. But you just want to make sure that if you are going to make that decision, that it's an informed decision. That you're not just making it out of fear, but you're you're making an informed decision. You know, you alluded to this earlier, but when the telephone first came out, every business was going to have only one of them. They were afraid of what people would do and use it for. And when email came out, same thing, companies would have an email address and it would be horrible if we gave everybody their own email address and it's very official. But, you know, the reality is every employee everywhere talks to people, either colleagues or coworkers or customers or vendors. Everybody's talking to someone. But in that context, do you see, you said fearlessness and being going out there, but do you see social media as a life skill? For all of us, well, you know, I, I think we're we're getting to that point. Certainly, if you if you ask the the presidents that I that I spoke to, they and that was in in uh, in sort of mid to late 2013. They at that point did not feel as though it was a requirement for their colleagues to be on social media. They didn't think it, it at that point that it that it was a necessity. But what they did add was was a caveat, which was that we are moving towards a world where those literally social media literacies will increasingly become in demand if you're you know if you're 
applying for you know these these very senior leader uh, senior uh, leadership positions in higher education you know that will increasingly be a requirement sort of a required skill that uh, recruiters are looking for and, and so i'm i'm also of that of that belief right now do do i think that if uh, a student uh, or you know a young person looking for a job isn't on social media do i do i think that will completely you know ruin their 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 chances of of landing a, a particular a particular job i really think it depends on the career if you're looking to be a social media you know coordinator or something like that then yeah it would probably hurt your chances but um but what i what i would say is that we aren't there yet but i do think that we're moving to a world where social media literacies are going to increasingly become in demand and 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 required learning. Um, you know the, the way one uh, one of the presidents I spoke to put it is, you know, you've got a variety of sets of skills uh, out there, uh, a variety of tools, you know, I, uh, that that you can spend your time learning about. Uh, presuming you know social media were were one of those sets of, of, of skills, those tools you could learn about. Why would you knowingly sort of disregard a tool like that, one that sort of permeates? So many different key demographics, particularly if you're a, a leader in higher education, um, that, that permeates so many different parts of our lives. You know, why would you knowingly disregard that, that kind of that platform or that space? And I thought that was a really fair question. I, I couldn't really think of a, a great reason to knowingly disregard, you know, the, the social media space and, and learning about it and understanding some of its, its intricacies and its, you know, its ins and outs. I couldn't really think of a good reason to completely disregard it. So, so you know, that, that's my own perspective on it. But I also sort of leave room here for, for others to decide for themselves whether, whether they think, uh, you know, uh, social media and literacy is, is required learning or not. What I would say is that we all have to decide what topics we want to talk about. We all go through an education, the formal and the informal. We all have our areas of expertise and we have to decide for ourselves what aspects of that to show the public. I'd like to stop this part of the interview here. I, I want to have some time and topics to come back to you on when I've had a chance to read the book. But I was hoping you could let people know where to contact you and where they can find the book if they're interested. And then maybe we can go into a short overtime conversation. Sure. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, the best way to follow me is on Twitter. I'm at Dan Zayance. And that's a it's a tricky last name, but I'll spell this out for you. It's at D-A-N-Z-A-I-O-N-T-Z. That's at Dan Zayance on Twitter. And uh, we've got, you know, a shortened URL um, for, for folks to find more information about the book. Um, it's just HTTP colon slash slash. Um, once you get all, you know, past all that stuff, it's M-S-T-N-R dot M-E slash follow the L-D-R. But that link is also available on Twitter because that's a pretty tricky one right there. M-S-T-N-R dot M-E slash follow the L-D-R. They, they can try that. Or again, you know, follow me on Twitter and uh, I am shamelessly uh, promoting the book uh, across a variety of different social networks. Well, hopefully this will help. This is Harry Hawk saying I appreciate everybody who's been 
listening to this and coming this far, we really would appreciate your feedback. So you can talk to Dan on Twitter or myself at HHAWK, or you can visit the website for the podcast that's talkingabouteverything.com or my marketing website, Hawk, H-A-W-K, socialmarketing.com. And uh, once again, I want to thank Dan for being my guest this afternoon. Thank you, Harry. It was a pleasure.